The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So we have to start today digging further into the supposed covid relief bill, a so-called rescue package for I guess it's supposed to be for Americans, even though it's really apparently for corporations and rich people. And this has now been approved by Congress. And this may be one of the biggest scams of 2020. And there have been many scams in 2020. The Trump campaign was a scam. Trump's handling of of covid was a massive scam and failure. Trump's continued claims of things like it's the flu, 15 cases will go to zero. That's a massive scam. Trump's campaign fundraising to launder money through a shell company to his family. It's a scam. Trump fundraising after the election, claiming the money will help him overturn the results when it's really going 50 percent to help him pay off his campaign debt. It, it's scam after scam. This is the year of scams. But this covid rescue package is a major scam. Now, as I told you yesterday, it's a nine hundred billion dollar total package. It's part of a bigger package that includes one point four trillion for funding government. So you wrap a bunch of stuff not related to covid into the relief bill and then connect it to the spending bill. It's not super clear why, but that's not necessarily a problem. But then you see the details for people not corporations, just normal people making up to seventy five thousand dollars a year. They get six hundred dollars per adult. You get an extra three hundred dollars per week of unemployment if you are out of a job altogether and on state unemployment for 11 months. Money might start going out as soon as next week. Maybe last time it took months and months, so we'll see. But the real story here is the pathetic nature of how of how money for people compares to money for everything else, including corporations after, remember, seven months of nothing being done. So let's go through it. I mentioned that <clears throat> combining the one point four trillion dollar bill to fund government with the nine hundred billion covid relief is not necessarily a problem. And it's not necessarily a problem, except here it is a problem because in total, the two things together are more than fifty five hundred pages. And the vote took place last night just a few hours after the full text was released, again, ensuring that no member of Congress could actually see what they were voting for. Uh, this is a common scam in our government. It happens all the time. And one of the things that was stuck into the bill is that it would make it illegal. It would make it a felony to illegally stream video, as an example, as well as a bunch of other pro corporate handouts in terms of intellectual property. And Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez pointed this out and explained this is an example of what they didn't have time to read, tweeting, quote, this is why Congress needs time to actually read this package before voting on it. Members of Congress have not read this bill. It's over 5000 pages arrived at 2 p.m. today, and we are told to expect a vote in two hours. This isn't governance. It's hostage taking. And she's correct. The bill has a handout of one hundred and twenty billion to rich business owners and other provisions that are great for the wealthy. Uh, there's a provision that businesses that get PPP loans can not only have the loans forgiven, meaning it's free money, but they can also deduct the loan amount spent on business expenses against their taxable income. So you get a million dollar PPP loan as an example. You don't have to pay it back. So it's really a gift of a million dollars. But then also the stuff you spend the money on from the loan, which was free, 
you deduct from your taxes and it lowers your taxable income. I mean, it's truly wild. And meanwhile, some people will get six hundred dollars. Now, uh, uh, I, I there's this other provision about increasing the deductibility of meals from 50 percent to 100 percent. Some people are, are mad about this as well. I've dealt with this before. Like if I go to a conference for a week and I spend a few hundred dollars on meals during the conference or I take the team out for dinner, if you can imagine that, I mean, you know, it's covid. But at the time when we did, if I spend a hundred bucks on meals for the team, I can only deduct 50 of it. Only 50 of it essentially is a tax deductible expense. Uh, they want to up that to 100. Per, they have up that to 100 percent. I like it and then it benefits me. This is the only thing that I get. And this is an opportunity for me to to mention again. People keep emailing me saying, David, you greedy bastard. You want more money for yourself. You want twelve hundred dollars instead of six hundred. Again, I'm getting nothing. I qualify for nothing. I would benefit from the 100 percent deductibility of meals as a business expense if there's ever a thing as a business meal again. OK, but I'm uh, we've taken no PPP money. Uh, I get no money personally. I have no kids that they get money. I, I get nothing. OK, I'm thinking about other people. Um, so this is way bigger than any one thing is the point. And part of this is that lots of Democrats are fine with all this stuff, just like Republicans. Some are not like AOC. But she still voted for it because six hundred dollars is better than nothing. And she was given two hours to read fifty five hundred pages. Part of this is that there simply isn't even time to know what's in the bill, as I mentioned. And then part of this is that at a systemic level, how do you go seven months with nothing and then offer six hundred dollars while giving huge corporations tons of goodies and handouts? It's quite frankly infuriating. This is what we have now. Let's see what happens after January 20th with a different president. And we don't yet know maybe a different party controlling the Senate. And again, those Georgia races are very much in focus. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating and infuriating. And I want to be super care careful here to ensure that I'm not violating any guidelines on any of our platforms. We finally found one example of what the right has been calling dead people voting. And of course, it wasn't a dead person. It was a live person doing something illegal. A pro Trump Pennsylvania man has been charged with voter fraud for casting a ballot for Donald Trump under his dead mother's name. I'm going to get into the details in a moment. But remember, the voter fraud Trumpist crowd for seven weeks now has been saying hundreds of thousands of dead people voted for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. In some cases, they say tens of thousands. When this was investigated, it turned out that it happened essentially not at all. Most of the people listed as dead in I believe it was in Michigan were just alive. I mean, that that that's really they were people who did vote, but they're alive. They're not dead. Um, others were registered. They died since registering and they didn't vote. So in other words, they showed up as registered because they were, but they died and didn't vote because dead people can't vote. Uh, some others were name confusion, a junior voting and then it being counted uh, uh, as their dad's vote senior um, who has passed away. But it was still only one vote counted. It wasn't it being counted twice for one person. It's a clerical error. And of course, the implication always was that this was part of a scam to help Joe Biden steal the election. Another claim they didn't have any evidence for, aside from the fact that it's really a bad strategy to steal an election. It's so much work for one vote in this way. But we finally found out that somebody did do this 
And it is a 70 year old man named Bruce Bartman in Pennsylvania who registered his dead mother and his dead mother in law to vote using the online registration portal, registered them both as Republicans, requested absentee ballots in their names and returned one of the absentee ballots for his deceased mother voting for Trump. He's confessed. He made a statement to the DA's office saying he cast a vote for his uh, in the name of his dead mother for Donald Trump. And there are many takeaways here. First of all, the claim from the Trumpists that this is widespread is a fantasy. Pennsylvania received hundreds of tips about supposed dead voters. They followed up on all of them and they found one and it, the guy voted for Trump. OK, number two, the story from the right is always that it's Democrats doing the voter fraud. And yet every time it's investigated every election, it's a handful of Republicans doing it. There was a similar story back in 2016, maybe 2018, maybe both. There were scary generalizations about voter fraud. But when we found the few instances of people doing it earnestly, uh, uh, it, it was Republicans. We found instances of Republicans testing the system, trying to vote twice, and they got caught. And once again, here, 70 year old Republican caught submitting a ballot for Trump in the name of his dead mother. One other Republican in Pennsylvania was also charged for casting a ballot in person went home, put on sunglasses, went back to the polling place and claimed to be his own son to vote a second time. He's also been caught and charged. So again, no evidence of materially relevant voter fraud. But these two guys accused of individual fraud, which of course would not have affected the Pennsylvania results either way. Joe Biden won by 71,000 votes. But the two instances were people voting for Trump anyway. So it only took seven weeks, but we finally found one supposed dead voter and it was a Trump vote anyway. So do not fall for this stuff, my friends. It really will rot your brain. We have real problems to deal with in this country. We have real election problems and they include suppression, closing of polling places, disenfranchisement of different kinds. We have a long list quote, dead people voting, not a problem. One guy did it. He got caught in Pennsylvania. Remember that on January one, we are blowing out memberships before Joe Biden comes into office and says, David, 70 percent membership discounts are no longer allowed. That's a joke, by the way. But we really are doing a one day membership special January 1st, 2021. If you would like to be notified about it, this is very simple. You go to davidpackman.com upper right of the website. You type in your email address, puts you on our newsletter. January 1st, you'll get an email telling you how to sign up, taking advantage of this great membership special. Uh, let me know what you think about the voter fraud story from Pennsylvania. You can find me on Twitter at dpackman. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. One of our sponsors is Hydrant, which is a delicious fruit drink powder that you mix into water for rehydration. And they're giving you 25% off your first order. It's made with four key electrolytes that the body needs, powerfully supporting your hydration. Hydrant tastes great. It's made with real fruit juice. It's been a great part of my daily routine for a while now. Keeping myself hydrated puts me in a better mood. The body needs hydration for basic energy and focus and hydrant is the perfect way to rehydrate, especially because it's cost effective and lower in sugar compared to all of those popular sports drinks that are out there. 
You really have to try it for yourself to see what I mean. It tastes great. They also have a variety called Hydrant Immunity packed with vitamins A, B, C and D, which is also very much worth trying. Hydrant has a full refund guarantee if you're not satisfied and you'll get 25% off your first order. When you go to drinkhydrant.com slash Pacman or enter the code Pacman at checkout, that's drink H Y D R A N T dot com slash P A K M A N coupon code Pacman. I've put the link in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty, sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone on a low carb keto diet. Just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100% of your money if you don't love it. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com/pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you've been wondering whether anybody is president of the United States right now, you're not alone. Uh, Donald Trump hasn't had a public event in a long time. If you look at Donald Trump's official schedule, you'll see no public events dating back for weeks. Trump occasionally meeting with Mike Pence or officials or signing something in private, but he's been missing. And yesterday, this right wing college organization called Turning Point USA did an in-person super spreader event with the likes of such right wing tours of intellectual force as Dave Rubin, Eric Balling and three female Republican congresswomen elect. And uh, Donald Trump called into the event through the organizer, Charlie Kirk's cell phone or a cell phone handed to Charlie Kirk. And it is absolutely bizarre. So let's look at the clips first, and then I'll talk a little bit about just the the downfall of the office of the presidency over the last few months and years. Uh, They seem to have staged some kind of interruption while Charlie Kirk was speaking. Uh, Some kind of flunky comes out holding a cell phone for Charlie Kirk and, and has to interrupt Charlie because it's so important. If you are allergic to cringe, I would skip the next 40 seconds. I cringed really hard when I saw this. What I'm what I'm Charlie Benny. I'm so sorry. I know you're in the middle of speech. This can't wait. I would never do this to you. But this is something. That we cannot miss. Hello, who's there? Charlie, how are you? That sounds like a big crowd of beautiful people. What a surprise, guys. It's Trump. Anyway, um, 
let's listen to what Trump actually said. And remember, Trump has been doing nothing for weeks other than figuring out ideas for how to steal the election. But this event he calls into take a listen. And of course, Trump starts talking about how he needs the Justice Department to do something to steal the election that he lost and again asserts that he won the election. Quick reminder, Donald Trump did not win the election. That sounds like a big crowd of beautiful people. Hi, Charlie. We have 4,000 students here. It's amazing to hear from you and our Student Action Summit. And thank, I, thank you for calling in. I mean, we have your back 100%, by the way. 100%. I know you do. I know you do. I know it. Charlie, I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody there. I've spoken for Charlie numerous times, and we've always had a great time. And we are fighting uh, really for the country because. This election, we won this election in a landslide. Uh, they dropped hundreds of thousands of ballots in each state. It's all documented. The problem is we need a party that's going to fight, and we have some great congressmen and women that are doing it, and we have others, some great fighters. But we won this in a landslide. They know it, and we need backing from, like, the Justice Department and other people have to finally step up. But I just want to thank Charlie for the support. Charlie's always been there. I watched you the other night. We won by a lot, he says, Uh, of course, not true. And this is really a crowd that will cheer for anything. Truly, I imagine thinking that you're building uh, a solid fact based organization that is willing to cheer wildly when Trump lies and claims he won an election that he obviously lost significantly. Now, just one other little moment that shows you really just how dumb these right wing figures think the crowd is. This is not about this is more a commentary about the organizers and the speakers than it is about the audience. Charlie Kirk casually mentions Trump took time out of his busy day negotiating the stimulus to talk to this crowd. Look, this is why we love our president. He's in he's in Washington, D.C., negotiating the stimulus bill. And but he wanted to make sure that he talked to you. Most people would realize that that's completely patronizing and ridiculous, especially the idea that Trump is negotiating anything that's laughable. But sadly, this type of stuff really works on people because the MAGA cult is is very it's just bizarre. And when I was watching these these clips, it brought back memories of documentaries I've seen about evangelical Christian youth conferences where they indoctrinate kids into evangelical Christianity. Sometimes it's specifically uh, sects that fall under the umbrella of charismatic Christian churches. These are the ones that sometimes speak in tongues. Sometimes it's Pentecostal. Anyway, there's lots of interesting documentaries about these types of churches. Uh, Jesus Camp is one uh, in which our our good friend Mike Papantonio actually um, uh, plays a role. Uh, but that's what I was reminded of as I was watching these videos. It, they they seem like these evangelical indoctrination camps that people that kids are are sent to. These are just slightly older kids, effectively, is is what's going on. Really sad stuff. And again, Trump missing for weeks from the public. This he calls into unbelievable. We had part one of this next story yesterday, and now it's actually gotten even more interesting. Uh, Right wing propaganda network Newsmax 
has now been forced to debunk its own election lies due to a legal threat from the voting machine company Smartmatic, which both demanded a retraction and reserved its right to take legal action. Yesterday, I told you that after six weeks of spreading all sorts of debunked lies about election fraud, Lou Dobbs on Fox aired a clarifying segment saying basically none of that stuff I said was true. Newsmax has now done the exact same thing. So let's take a look at uh, this is anchor John Tobacco. That's his real name, as far as I know, issuing clarifications. And the title of this clip should really be We Don't Want to Get Sued. Since Election Day, uh, various guests, attorneys and elected officials have appeared on Newsmax and offered opinions and claims about Smartmatic and Dominion Systems, both companies that offer voting software in the U.S., and uh, Newsmax would like to clarify its news coverage and note that it has not reported as true certain claims made about these companies. There are several facts our viewers and readers should be aware of. Newsmax has found no evidence that either Dominion or Smartmatic owns the other or has any business association with each other. We have no evidence that Dominion uses Smartmatic software or vice versa. No evidence has been offered that Dominion or Smartmatic use software or reprogrammed software that manipulated votes in the 2020 election. Smartmatic has stated that its software was only used in the 2020 election in Los Angeles, was not used in any battleground state contested by the Trump campaign. Newsmax has no evidence to the contrary. Dominion has stated the company has no ownership relationship with the Pelosi family, the Feinstein family, the Clinton family, Hugo Chavez, or the government of Venezuela. Neither Dominion nor Smartmatic has any relationship with George Soros. Smartmatic is a U.S. company and not owned by the Venezuelan government, Hugo Chavez, or any foreign official or entity. Smartmatic states that it has no operations in Venezuela, while the company did election projects in Venezuela from 2004 to 2017, it state it was never founded by Hugo Chavez, nor did it have a corrupt relationship with him or the Venezuelan government. For more on this, please go to our website at Newsmax.com. If that isn't a guy being held hostage by the company's lawyers, I don't know what is. So just like with yesterday's Fox clip, the Newsmax anchor says there's no connection between Smartmatic and Dominion. Votes weren't manipulated by the voting machines. The machines in question weren't used in battleground states. There's no connection to Nancy Pelosi or Hugo Chavez or the Clintons or Venezuela. George Soros has nothing to do with this. And it's really quite stunning. And just like I said yesterday, lots of the Newsmax audience will hear this, but they're not going to believe it because they will believe that the Newsmax uh, host was forced to do this, which he was essentially because of the legal demand letter that was received. But I'll actually even go further. How do you make up for five weeks of spreading uh, disinformation, seven weeks almost at this point, hundreds of times with this one segment? This is the Lou Dobbs uh, segment, similar to uh, what we just saw on Newsmax. This was yesterday on Fox Business. Take a look. Lots of opinions about the integrity of the election, the irregularities of mail in voting of election voting machines and voting software. One of the companies is Smartmatic, and we reached out to one of the leading authorities on open source software for elections, Eddie Perez, for his insight and views. Eddie is the global director of tech development at the Open Source Election Technology Institute. We asked him for his assessment of Smartmatic and recent claims about the company. 
Have you seen any evidence that Smartmatic software was used to flip votes anywhere in the U.S. in this election? I have not seen any evidence that Smartmatic software was used to uh, delete, change, alter anything related to vote tabulation. Smartmatic says its software was never used outside of L.A. County in 2020. Do you know whether or not that's true? That is my understanding. Uh, Smartmatic uh, functioned as the contract manufacturer for the Los Angeles County voting system, and that was a customized system that was effectively built to the county's order. I am not aware of them having any other direct customers' relationships with election officials in the United States. What about Smartmatic and Dominion? Do you know if they're related, whether one owns the other, whether Dominion uses Smartmatic software? Both Dominion and Smartmatic have individually and respectively put out uh, very clear statements from their corporate headquarters, each of them indicating they are independent companies, they are not related to each other. It is my understanding that neither one of them has an ownership stake in the other or anything like that. So almost identical information is being conveyed in the two videos. Clearly, they don't want to face the lawsuits that they were being threatened with. But I just don't know how one two minute fact check once makes up for spreading this stuff for going on two months. But of course, they're doing the absolute minimum to either avoid being sued or to mitigate damage if indeed they are sued. That's all they care about. Now, here's a bonus clip for you. This is this is great. Uh, host Sebastian Gorka is interviewing the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, and Mike Lindell starts going into the voter fraud conspiracies and Seb Gorka actually cuts him off because he clearly has been advised we can't keep repeating this stuff. Take a look. I believe in this president, but and I'll tell you what, nobody realizes, I mean, what a miracle we had on election night at 1115. You know, you talked about all this fraud, doctor. The 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 biggest fraud is the Dominion machines. And at 1115 on election night, our great president, Next because of Mike, everything Mike, he's... I don't want to discuss, Mike, Mike, we're not, we're not going to get into the minutiae of the details. I want to ask you, okay. because this show is about courage. So Seb Gorka, they're desperate to get away from that topic before they end up with another legal threat. So the headlines go on the front every day for six weeks, and then they put a correction on the back page once. That's the equivalent of what they're doing here. Fox News was told in the letter from the Smartmatic lawyers you need to claim there wasn't fraud with the same amount of frequency and intensity as the number of times you claimed there was fraud. Clearly, Fox News hasn't done that. Clearly, Newsmax hasn't done that for now. But my concern is less legal than it is about the reality that the damage has been done by their harping on this stuff for six weeks. They may get sued anyway because their lies were so egregious. But the problem is they when you do this for six or seven weeks, the correction is irrelevant. You're not going to change any of your own audience's mind because they understand that you were clearly forced to do this and that what you said for six weeks is the truth as they see it. Will OAN have to do the same? I don't know. We're keeping an eye on that. But this is already a sign that, as I've been saying for several weeks now, the right wing media landscape for the next several years is going to be very interesting, regardless of what Donald Trump does. Uh, and we'll be following it. And we'll have more of these clips on the David Pakman Show Instagram page, which you can find at David Pakman Show. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you are anything like me, 
you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using steady MD for primary care. And it's also so much more affordable. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's S T E A D Y M D dot com forward slash P A K M A N. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID 19, and they're giving my audience 20% off. SNH Masks is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell. And that's actually why I reached out to them about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year, like many of you, and I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap, and it features a disposable five layer particle filter made of activated carbon. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. And all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over one hundred and fifty dollars. You can get there by going to davidpackmancom slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20 percent on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. Welcome back to The David Pakman Show. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Robert Vitalis, who is professor of political science at the University of Pennsylvania and also author of the book Oil Craft, the myths of scarcity and security that haunt U.S. energy policy. Um, So great to have you on. I, I think at the time of a presidential transition where there are questions about if and how policy will change around oil, it's a it's a very timely conversation. 
Thanks. It's great to be here. So I, I guess to start with, when you talk about oil craft or, or the trick that is sometimes played with the topic of oil, like what is the big trick? What's the big misunderstanding? Well, the big misunderstanding is that you don't have to do anything special to guarantee access to it, especially during peacetime, meaning there's a world market in oil. One just buys it. That is how the military gets its oil. That is how all domestic refiners get their oil. So all talk about need to use military power to secure access or against threats um, uh, are pretty much uh, uh, untrue. And can you talk a little bit about why? So there's there's probably some people who will hear you say that and they'll say, OK, well, there's an a aspect of that that makes intuitive sense. But at the same time, the world wouldn't necessarily grind to a halt if access to a different commodity like pork bellies were somehow uh, impacted. It seems as though because so much transportation depends on oil, so many products, uh, including products that have plastic come from oil and, and so many different things. It seems that the implications are different, even if on paper we're talking about two commodities. Why do you argue that there is not really a difference? Because the the vision of um, access somehow being denied by some uh, crisis is also something that hasn't existed in uh, in our lives. So, for instance, right now, access is being hindered in all sorts of way to oil supplies, but we hardly think about it. What is the perfect example of that? Uh, the United States government has sanctions on various governments that are oil producers, uh, Venezuela on the one hand, uh, Iran on the other. The, that, the, that hinders access uh, in, in real ways, but we don't talk about it. Instead, what we imagine is some kind of, I don't know, like a, a, a disaster movie where all oil, uh, all oil production collapses. We, we've never had an experience like that. But we we generate constant uh, scary scenarios. One of the uh, global relationships that uh, uses oil as a justification for being sort of a special relationship or one that needs to be treated differently is the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. And sometimes if you step back, it might be sort of confusing, given the democratic values that so many administrations have claimed to want to spread around the world. And in fact, many of the military conflicts based on spreading those ideas, it would seem counterintuitive that we would have the relationship we do with Saudi Arabia, which represents much of what we seek to change uh, in that region and elsewhere in the world. But oil and a shared goal of stability in the region is often cited as as the explanation. How does your uh, perspective on oil modify how maybe we should be thinking of that relationship? Well, one, that is correct. Oil is used as the explanation for what we ostensibly otherwise would not do. Right. So and you know, basically, that's another a, a scary scenario to uh, that has that have tripped uh, that has tricked people in the past. So Americans who otherwise would not think we have some kind of we should be uh, so closely involved with Saudi Arabia, except okay, but we need their oil, uh, and and so we have to kind of sw uh, swallow our pride or or not pursue our more idealistic side, and that's fundamentally incorrect. As my favorite oil economist of the 1970s uh, said back then, and it remains true until now, 
One thing Saudi Arabia has to do is sell their oil on the world market. The one thing we don't have to worry about is access to oil from Saudi Arabia or anyone else has has to worry about. Are there other um, relationships? So you you mentioned Venezuela. We know about the, the relationship with Saudi Arabia. Are there other geopolitical alliances or relationships that that are important when it comes to oil that are much less discussed in media and that people may not understand uh, the, the role of? Well, I think, folks, you can just think about the U.S. position in the Persian Gulf generally, not just in Saudi Arabia, but in Bahrain, where the Fifth Fleet is located, uh, in uh, Qatar, in the Emirates, and, and, and so forth. Um, we have this understanding that we have to be in the Persian Gulf to protect access to oil. And what I've argued and what the military has said time and time again and other experts is that that is incorrect. And so the real question should be, so what behind that, uh, behind the uh, a rationale of strategic access to oil, what do these regimes actually do for us uh, that that uh, keep us so closely tied to them? I, I want to get to eventually in our conversation some of the reasons why we've not moved off of oil more quickly. But before addressing that, um, because there are so many geopolitical relationships that are connected to oil, there are significant, it would seem, diplomatic and foreign policy implications that would that would rise if indeed the U.S. Uh, and the world were to accelerate getting off of oil and towards renewable energy and, and other types of, of energy sources. Is that intuition accurate in, in a sense or, or or do you believe that there would simply be new justifications given for maintaining the status quo, which now oil is pointed to as the explanation? I, I, I you know, I, I'm I'm I, uh, you, you shouldn't trust professors to predict anything. But of that course, said, <laughs> that said, I, I lean toward your second uh, uh, option there. Right. Other rationales will be created to continue uh, uh, to pursue the policies that we pursue now that whatever else they do have no impact on ac on access to oil. We have a perfect example of this. The United States is has a has a large military presence in the Persian Gulf. In the past weeks, uh, Saudi oil facilities or oil transport have been uh, 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 bombed by ships. And and the U.S. is unable to to prevent the precise kinds of uh, threats that we've often think is at the heart of our military presence there. But does the NATO, does, does the military want to stay there? Absolutely. All, all else equal, um, uh, the military presence is of benefit to the military. Um, they've never been really uh, behind any kind of a retreat from positions where they are already secured. What would be the and again, I'd, uh, maybe I'm asking for a prediction or maybe maybe mm -hmm. we have a reason to, to think one way or the other. If the excuse of oil were no longer credible in terms of explaining a U.S. Saudi relationship that doesn't seem to make much sense for the reasons we discussed earlier, what do you imagine would replace it as the justification? Well, it, well, whether it would work or not, OK, yeah. whether Americans would come to say, OK, yes, we have to do we we, we have to accept the. Uh, our ties to the Saudis. We have no other choice. Well, one is a new one. Um, this is the one credit I give to Mohammed bin Salman, the de facto ruler, um, which is that now 
now Saudi Arabia, it's a it's a it's a plus on the side of Israel and those Americans who really think it's important that the Saudis are part of a coalition with Israel against Iran. Right. And you notice in that discussion, there's no talk about oil. The oil, the oil disappears. Right. Uh, and in fact, we'd be better off. Uh, if Iran was producing its oil uh, uh, unhindered by the United States, it's of course it's of course producing oil, but it's doing that with the assistance of China at this point. Okay, so when we think about why we've not moved away from oil more quickly, we seem to have the technological know-how to do it to a greater degree than it has has been done, and there are all sorts of explanations that are often given. Some are more foreign policy related, uh, including what you and I have been talking about. Some claim that we simply don't have the efficiency in some of these alternatives to oil to generate the energy we need. That while solar panels are improving and wind is improving, we're, we're simply not there yet. And there's a debate ab about that, and it seems that. It, it to great extent, it's not true. It's part about political willingness to do it. But but maybe to some degree, we're not quite there. There are other explanations given as well in terms of, well, it, it would damage this industry. Well, but it would prop this one up. And then you have to kind of balance whether it would be a net job creator or or destroyer. If you had to give us a general assessment of why we've not moved away from oil more quickly, what would it include? Uh, political will, I think. Um, uh, uh the obfuscating arguments of multiple, you know, uh, vested interests in this process. You know, I've watched this. I, I've studied how these debates uh, took place in the 1970s during the so-called energy crisis. And there was a lot of confusion out there because um, spokespeople of different interests tend to argue uh, uh, their positions. Uh, they tend to exaggerate, you know, the 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 significance or the or the or the importance or the security threats to their various positions. So I think lack of political will. Yes, the technology is not completely there yet. But at the same time, I've noticed something uh, uh, happening for the first time, which is um, the oil industry itself, or at least the largest segments of the oil industry, the global the global producers are arguing, in fact, they are preparing for a, a peak, not supply, which is how we used to talk about it, but peak demand, mm. that in fact, their predictions are oil uh, demand for oil will be declining over, you know, the medium term, et cetera. So I think something is happening. And the, th what do they say would be the the catalyst for those declines in demand? Uh, concerns about global warming, uh, the environment and the uh, 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 commit commitments on part. I mean, the commitments of various uh, domestic groups to the fears of what climate change mean, plus the tech, plus the developments in the technology. Um, you know, that's what economists have said at some point. Oil will oil will simply become a wasted ac asset that will remain in the ground because technology will shift such that um, uh, we can we we will have uh, better energy sources sources to rely on. So along those lines, the the president uh, Trump, the the one that's still president for a few more days, um, he has said many times during his rallies and during various briefings, even briefings unrelated to energy, as they often are, he has uttered this this phrase that we are now energy independent. Um, mm -hmm. First question is, is that true? And then a second question is, has fracking impacted 
the U.S. energy picture in a significant enough way that it has separated us a little bit from the geopolitical oil situation? Okay, Uh, great questions. Uh, No, we are not energy independent because we live in a world. It's one world market for oil. All right. We believe, you, you know, we have this fiction. We think that domestic sources of supply is what the country first relies on. And right. then and only then does it does it uh, a turn to exports. That has never been true. Number one. Number two, even to the extent that we are now producing more oil through a hydraulic fracturing than we had in the than than we've had for a long time. The price of that oil depends on uh, events in the world market. So there is no way to stop the what drives us most crazy in the day to day, the um, uh, 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 volatility in price of oil. Right. So now we're all pretty prices are down. But we remember back when barrels of oil were at one hundred and two dollars. Well, in the future, we are not able to put up walls against those uh, um, price shocks unless we turn to a kind of uh, a domestic politics that we haven't seen in this country for decades, which was which would be to create a new protectionist regime, right? Not permit any, uh, uh, ex- not permit any imports of oil and rely completely on domestic production. Well, that, you know, that's been a failure in the past. It's caused all sorts of problems uh, in the United States. And it's hard to imagine returning to that. Now, has has, um, fracking uh, reduced our dependency? Uh, No, because it's it's just not the case. So there's one there's an easy way to see that we can look at our oil import uh, uh, figures and um, there are we still import oil. Right. Because certain users um, prefer the uh, uh, their own refineries are geared towards certain kinds of oil. And it's very difficult for them to move away uh, from the oil that they tend to use. Let me give you one good example that people uh, never think of. Yeah. Folks argued they expected that with uh, hydraulic fracturing, um, uh, we would not any longer be dependent on Saudi Arabia and and imports from Saudi Arabia would decline. Well, that's not true. Why? People forget that Saudi Arabia is itself a major refiner in the United States. The largest amount of Saudi oil coming to the United States is to is to uh, uh, supply their own refineries in the United States in the same way that a global oil company like Exxon uh, would do so, setting up refineries in various countries in order to have guaranteed markets for their crude, et cetera. So Saudi Arabia continues to import Saudi Arabian oil into Saudi refineries in the United States. Uh, real quick, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on and and my my expectation is your commentary on this would be more geopolitical th- than technological. But I'm glad to hear your thoughts either way. There are uh, folks on the left who are sometimes divided over the role of new nuclear capacity and technology uh, in, in as a possible bridge from the current paradigm to renewables. And there are some who don't like the the sort of um, uh, risk of nuclear, while the more nuclear engineers I talk to, the more they say, you know, that those risks are really based on 40, 50 year old technology, which is not what would be used if new nuclear was put online. So I'm sort of open to the idea of new nuclear 
as a bridge. My concern is that practically, because it takes a while to bring that capacity on, it seems it would be difficult to commit to it merely being a bridge. What is your sort of thought about new nuclear as, as and its role? Well, I think I, your your uh, vision of that is 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 mine. It's a, I think is is the correct one. Um, and also the what doesn't often get talked about is the fact that those new nuclear plants would be subsidized by the by government in one form or another. Right. It's very hard to do it economically now without subsidies. So you can imagine another new you know, industry uh, seeking, you know, uh, seeking those subsidies in order to in order to uh, 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 get new plants uh, 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 operational. Um, you know, the, the texts I read on this question, the debate is still open. I've seen I've seen books, you know, by actually old friends of mine from graduate school who've argued this is this is the only real way forward, especially if what we care about is generating electricity for the millions of people in India and elsewhere that still have no electricity. Right. Renewables are not going to be able to 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 uh, 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 and, uh, give the development uh, that folks need uh, around the world. And nuclear is the way to do that. But I've also seen technologists challenge challenge that claim. So I think what we're going to see is, I mean, I, I can't resolve that. Right. What we're going to see is more fights around that question. And it's certainly there is certainly a uh, visceral uh, argument against it on the part of the left. And I think that goes back to, you know, back to the 70s, to uh, Chernobyl, to Three Mile Island uh, and so forth, to no nukes. There was there were the concerts back then. Right. And the left is I'm, I'm with you on this. The left seems more or less committed to the idea of Green New Deal renewables uh, uh, supporting fossil fuels or any other kind of mega industry at the same time. Yep, uh, I, I, an issue of critical importance and one maybe to to expand on uh, in in the future. We've been speaking with Robert Vitalis, who's a professor of political science at the University of Pennsylvania, also author of the book Oilcraft: The Myths of Scarcity and Security That Haunt U.S. Energy Policy. Thanks so much for your time today, and take good care. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. What if you could read 10 books in just one sitting? That's exactly what one of my favorite apps lets you do. It's called Blinkist. And what they do is take thousands of popular nonfiction books. They condense them down into text or audio that you can consume in 15 minutes. Blinkist makes sure that you're getting all of the important core insights from each book. So it's perfect for exploring a book you otherwise wouldn't have time for. If there's a full book you're thinking about buying, you can use Blinkist to get a sample first. Just think how much you can enrich yourself by being able to soak up an entire nonfiction book in just 15 minutes. I recently checked out the book Podcast Marketing Strategy by Daniel Rolls and Kieran Rogers, and so useful, so particularly applicable to what I'm doing. Really recommend it. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. 
That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. These next clips are an absolute pleasure to watch. Uh, Donald Trump's kooky lawyer Rudy Giuliani has turned on Donald Trump's kooky lawyer Sidney Powell. Now, there are about four or five layers of hilarity here. The first layer of hilarity is that weeks ago when Sidney Powell appeared to go crazy at these events at which she appeared with Rudy Giuliani, claiming Hugo Chavez and Venezuela, Cuba, Antifa were all involved in stealing the election. Oh, George Soros, too. Trump put out a statement saying this woman has no involvement with this period. She's working by herself. Then Rudy Giuliani went just as bonkers himself, telling us about as crazy of a story about what happened with the election. Then Trump had Sidney Powell at the Oval Office on Friday, and she was the one pushing Trump to do absolutely ridiculous things like trying to forcibly seize voting machines. And then the latest just incredible uh, uh, event in this series of, of embarrassment is that Rudy Giuliani appeared yesterday on Sean Spicer's Newsmax program and appeared to turn on Sidney Powell. Now, before we even get to that, Sean Spicer's Newsmax program. Yes, Sean Spicer, Donald Trump's former White House press secretary, has a show on Newsmax. That alone is hilarious, but I can't even focus on that because we have to get to what Rudy says. Here is Rudy insinuating that Sidney Powell's approach is outside of rationality, common sense and the law. Take a look. Right. And I know some of these folks have picked her up going in and out of the, the, the West Wing. But is she, to the best of your knowledge, meeting with the president about some of these strategic moves to either Im, uh, impound or seize voting machines or become a special counsel to investigate fraud? Well, look, it's my responsibility as the president's lawyer, along with Jenna and some of the others, we're going to be extremely aggressive. We're going to fight for our client as hard as we can. But we're also going to do it within the bounds of rationality, common sense, and the law. And uh, it's, it can be done. There's no reason to go beyond anything. There was, this election was a theft. It can be proven. I can tell you one simple thing that would prove it, make the American people feel really good. Five or six of these crooked governors could let us have access to the machines. What's really just Kafka esque here is that Rudy Giuliani is no voice of reason. Rudy Giuliani is pursuing ideas that are almost as nutty as what he's saying Sidney Powell is going too far with. But he says she's going too far and she's not working with us. Well, Rudy, you're doing things that are essentially as bonkers as what she's doing. Uh, here is Rudy in plain English saying Sidney Powell is on her own. Rudy, by the way, appears to be doing the interview from a restaurant. It sounds like there's silverware clanking in the background. But I want to bring you back to these reports that in the Oval Office, Sidney Powell, who had been part of your legal team until she was dismissed, has been there at least three, potentially four times. So there's a rumor that she is trying to become or people are advocating that she be appointed special counsel and that their voting machines be seen. Can you tell us what's happening in the Oval Office and what her role will be? Let me say definitively, Sidney Powell is not part of our legal team. She hasn't been for five weeks. She is not a special counsel for the president. She does not speak for the president, nor does she speak for the administration. She speaks for herself. And she's a fine woman, a fine lawyer. But whatever she is talking about, it's her own opinions. 
I'm not responsible for them. The president isn't, nor is anybody else on our legal team. So now Rudy is both distancing himself from Sidney Powell, but at the same time, not. And what I mean by that is he says she's not part of the legal team. Well, we knew that we knew Trump. Trump claimed that weeks ago. Rudy says she's not special counsel. Well, we know that right now she's not special counsel. The story is Trump is thinking about making her special counsel. Rudy says she doesn't speak for the president. No one claimed she did. She's not his press secretary. And Rudy says she doesn't speak for the Trump administration. Again, nobody has claimed that. So notice how Rudy distances while not actually refuting the assertions, which include Sidney Powell was at the Oval Office on Friday. Sidney Powell met with Trump. Sidney Powell suggested a seizure of voting machines and Trump is thinking about appointing her special counsel. Rudy doesn't debunk any of that. He just generally distances. And then lastly, and this is so funny, here's Rudy on Newsmax with Sean Spicer now attacking Fox News, saying Fox News won't let him on anymore to make his voter fraud claims. I can't get on. I can't get on ABC, NBC, CBS. Can't even get on Fox anymore. If I say the word fraud, I'm thrown off the network. I'm sorry. There was fraud. I'm telling the truth and they're lying. Completely indistinguishable from parody at this point. Very strange times that we we live in. I'm shocked daily that this is real life. And speaking of Fox News, let's talk about what happened there. I kind of like this clip, not because Fox News anchor Chris Wallace is some huge critic of Fox News while being on Fox News, but because it's a thinly veiled shot at some of the nonsense that's been regurgitated by Fox News since the election, including remember this story of right wingers going after Dr. Jill Biden because she's being called doctor without being a medical doctor. So let's look at this clip from Sunday's interview where Chris Wallace interviewed incoming White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Uh, Let's take a look at the clip. Finally, there has been some criticism recently from conservatives, including some conservatives on Fox News, about the fact that first lady to be Jill Biden goes by uh, the title doctor. Uh, I, I wonder what is the Biden's reaction to that, especially given the fact that so many people over the years, uh, I think of Dr. Henry Kissinger, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, have gone by the title doctor, even though they're not medical doctors, and nobody seems to have made a fuss about that. That's exactly right, Chris. It's a bit perplexing to me, and I'm sure to millions of Americans, that with thousands of people dying every day of COVID, millions out of work, that anyone would wake up in the morning and decide that the focus they need to have, the way they contribute to society that day, is to question whether or not Dr. Jill Biden, someone who's still teaching, who has a PhD uh, in education, should be called a doctor or not. Of course she should, as anyone who works through that challenging process of getting a PhD. It's It's a really silly, sexist and absurd uh, conversation that's happening a bit in society. And I I appreciate you asking me about it. Jen, thank you. Thanks for your time. The criticism from conservatives on Fox News, Chris Wallace says. Now, as I said on the stream that I did yesterday, we have a very backward situation right now where people without any college degrees or people with bachelor's degrees in areas that have nothing to do with education are evaluating the merits of Jill Biden's doctoral thesis, uh, her dissertation about education. Random right wing journalists with no experience in ed policy 
or in the academic field of education are saying criticism of Dr. Jill Biden is fair because her dissertation was crap. There's a bigger picture here that exists on the right, and it's been growing over the last some odd years. A flashpoint was when former Republican Senator Rick Santorum said college is liberal indoctrination. And let me see if I can sort of lay it out. One of the laughable things that happened yesterday at this event uh, by uh, Turning Point USA, which we covered, is that an incoming Republican congresswoman defiantly said, I will go and debate any professor at any college. Hold on. What, what do you mean debate any professor like you would debate an astronomy professor about the planets? You'll debate a chemical engineering professor about chemical engineering. What, what do you mean you'll debate any professor? And what I'm guessing she was implying is she would debate any professor about politics. But it's this arrogance and perspective that's become a virus. It's like a mind virus. And it's the same sort of delusion that's taking place with Dr. Jill Biden. This is similar to when people evaluate the merits of Dr. Jill Biden's dissertation without any knowledge that would allow them to do that. People who have never been to college or people with college degrees in an unrelated topic, random bloggers, everybody gets to evaluate the merits of Dr. Jill Biden's uh, doctoral dissertation. This is very common on the right. The idea that really you just learn opinion at college and mostly it's liberal opinion, liberal professors giving liberal opinions. Uh, uh, and then the students take the liberal opinions and they repeat them. Science is liberal. They believe or infer rather than an empirical process. And there's a Dunning Kruger aspect to it where they so misunderstand what college is and what empiricism is and what science is that they don't know that there's a difference between having an opinion about what the tax rate should be and empiricism and the scientific method that they end up lacking the capacity to understand what is happening in college and to even critique it in a credible way. That's how they end up thinking. It's merely liberal nonsense. I can show up and debate any professor and I can determine whether Dr. Jill Biden's doctoral dissertation is meritorious or not. But in any case, Good for Chris Wallace, sort of kind of softly alluding during his interview with White House press secretary, incoming White House press secretary Jen Psaki, that some of the Dr. Jill Biden nonsense has actually been happening on Fox News itself. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. I have a voicemail today from what could be one of the wackiest, most uninformed conspiracy theorists we've ever heard from. Get the children out of the room and listen to this. Hi, David. I'm a nurse myself. I live in Florida, and my name is Vivian, and I'd like to say that you are a fool. Right. And yes, the elections were fraud. Trump won by a landslide. This was all a confiscation to steal the election from, uh, from Trump. Biden is a crook. He is corrupt. So is his family, and so are a lot of members of the Democratic Party. They've sold us to the Chinese for the most part. They don't really give a rest but about our country, okay? So I am 100% agree with Trump. I think that interview with Kilmeade was excellent, and people like you and CNN and MSNBC and NBC and all your stations that everybody basically report lies, okay, and they shouldn't even be called reporters because you're all in the pockets of Soros, Bill Gates, and people like him, 
all right? It's disgusting what you're doing to this country. And on the fools that listen to you, that believe you, it's really a darn shame. You should be ashamed of yourself for calling yourself an American. People like you shouldn't even live in this country, okay? Don't change our country. You've done enough harm with your stupid ass lies. So this is this is essentially this is proof that we have a multi generational problem in this country. Okay, Um, that doesn't get fixed. You're not going to change that person's opinion. Right. Essentially, what you need to do is maybe someday they'll learn something and maybe their kids will be slightly more tethered to reality if we improve circumstances and maybe their kids like it's multi generational in that voicemail, she says. Trump won. Biden is a criminal. Biden's family is criminal. The Democrats sold us to China. All news stations tell only lies. Um, I'm funded by George Soros. I'm funded by Bill Gates. It's it's a 90 second voicemail. And there's about eight different baseless conspiracy theories with anti-Semitic undertones, of course, and, and, you know, everything else. You can't fix that by saying, hey, Maybe we regulate Fox News or, you know, what, like the, the takeaway is. The country is deeply sick and there's a lot of people that are very, very sick and you can't fix that quickly. It's sad. It's very sad, but you just can't fix that quickly. Uh, we've got a great bonus show for you today. I'll see you then.